This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity with Dan Monroe. Okay, welcome back to Brojo Online. And today we're going to hit a big one. We're going to talk about morality. So when I use the word morality, what I'm talking about is a a system of measurement or judgment about right versus wrong, good versus bad, okay, uh, whatever you want to call it, even helpful versus unhelpful. When you take something that is neutral, an act, a piece of information, and you decide on the quality of that act or piece of information, is it good quality, is it bad quality, should we have more of it, should we have less of it, this is what really morality is all about, and in particular, it's mostly about human behavior. Okay, is it right or wrong to do a certain thing? Now, moral superiority has got to be the cause of pretty much all conflicts, right? I can't really think of much else that's responsible for most of the suffering in the human social world. I mean, we have wars for resources and property, but mostly we have wars around moral superiority. Somebody's way of living uh, dominating another person's way of living, another person's morality. And this comes down to the micro level. The most likely conflict between two individuals is a moral conflict over the right or wrong way of doing something. You know, today I'm going to talk about that. I, I have a theory about morality. I think we can figure out what's right or wrong. In, in a way that we can all agree with, but we'd have to completely shift the paradigm. We would have to absolutely look at this in a whole new way that's never been looked at before. Uh, you know, we, we have current agencies ruling the sphere of morality. Religion's probably the main one. Uh, politics and capitalist business is probably the second runner-up, if I had to guess. And then we have... A newcomer, represented best, I think, by Sam Harris, the neuroscientist um, and author, and his moral landscape, which is an idea of using scientific research to determine how much a thing affects well-being for a human, and then using that objective measurement as guidance for a kind of landscape of morality. So, for example... Stabbing someone in the face almost always harms them. That can be measured scientifically. Their well-being is reduced by that. And so we can use that as a gauge of wrongness. And there's various things that almost always improve a person's well-being. Eating healthy, for example. And so we can say that that is righteous to do under the Sam Harris moral landscape. So I think Sam Harris is getting close. I know he's trying his very best to separate morality from religion and from supernatural, or reference to supernatural beliefs. And I think he's absolutely right to do that. But I think we can take it a step further. And today I'm going to do that by referring to one of my favorite programs, God, I'm such a nerd, Game of Thrones. Okay, for those of you who are familiar with Game of Thrones, I'm going to use characters from that series to kind of demonstrate some points. And if even if you don't watch that show... If you're one of those rare 1% of people who proudly says, I've never seen an episode, that's fine. Because I'm going to explain who the characters are that I'm using and it won't make much of a difference whether or not you've seen it. But what I want to do is I want to start by having a look at how morality currently exists. 
and then talk a little bit about what's wrong with that. <laughs> There's some morality there. What's not working there? And what we can possibly do to shift it and what each one of you listening can do to figure out right versus wrong for yourself, which is foreshadowing there. That's where I'm going with this. Ultimately, is that right and wrong is a personal opinion. Let's let's start. We're going to use a clear case here, which is premeditated murder. I wanted to take, take so one of the most extreme pieces of behavior, premeditated murder, cold blooded murder. As one of the things that nearly everybody can be relied on to say is wrong to do. Okay. So I want to take something that looks as objectively immoral as possible and run it through some kind of tests and some discussions to figure out what morality really is. Because there's elements to morality that we have to look at. Objective, intersubjective, and subjective. So objective is factual. And this is where Sam Harris is coming from with the moral landscape, he believes that facts can be used to determine right from wrong. So the fact is murder measurably causes all kinds of harm. It definitely causes death to the person it's done to. And we can say that that is the absolute, there's the absolute zero for well-being. That is the least amount of well-being a person can have is to be dead. And then we can actually, through psychological research and neuroscience on grief, we can see the harm done to the victim's family and their loved ones is consistently high. So objectively, we can say murder hurts. Murder is not good for your well-being. So that would be an objective version of morality. We take a fact about the, the impact of premeditated murder on the human involved and the humans connected to that person, the society around that person. And we say, look, the stats clearly show that this is a very harmful thing to do and it's consistently a harmful thing to do. There's very few exceptions to that. There's no exceptions to it being harmful to the victim. There's no one who isn't hurt by being murdered, so to speak. But that's not how morality is defined in modern day time. That's not how we do it. Well, how we do it is intersubjective judgment. So this is where we say murder is illegal, or we say murder is a sin. We have rules, and murder breaks those rules. And we've come as a society in various formats, from communities through to countries, through to, you know, United Nations, to agree that it's wrong to do a murder. Now, this doesn't necessarily always take into account the harm of murder, though that's a huge part of it. One of the reasons we all agree that there's laws and rules and scorn of murderers and that they put in prison is because murder is harmful. So intersubjective, we, we're taking an objective fact that murder hurts, and then we've intersubjectively said it's also wrong to do and it's breaking imaginary rules. Now, the reason I say it's imaginary is because the rule only exists because we agree it exists. That's, that's what intersubjective means. There's a lot of us who subjectively agree upon something, but there's no proof for this something. There's nowhere in the physical world where you can see evidence that murder is wrong. You can see evidence that murder is harmful, but only in our law books and in our conversations and in our rules does it say it's wrong. Okay, so that's what intersubjective means. And to take a case to give you like a better example of this, there's also sort of more debatable 
versions of wrong. So, say, drug use. Now, that is a hugely debatable moral subject. There's a lot of people who say, hey, you do what you want, it's your body. There's other people who say, no, that is, it is wrong. And we clearly see that, again, there is some objective evidence that shows some people who use drugs are hurt by it. But there's also objective evidence that shows some people who use drugs have enhanced well-being. We can see this with most pharmaceuticals, for example. Um, we can also see this with, we can see it with some hallucinogens. Okay, there's some clear research scientifically coming out now that shows the effects of, of acid and other hallucinogens when used in a certain way can enhance a person's well-being. So to say use of all drugs is wrong is a subjective judgment. There isn't actually a hardline piece of evidence that proves this. And even if it does cause harm to a human to use a drug, there's no proof that that harm is wrong. We just say it is. It might actually be good for the planet if certain humans are harmed, but we decide that it's not. So intersubjective means that as a group we come to a decision that something's wrong, usually but not always based on factual harm, and that's what makes it wrong. Okay, so I want you to just notice that you might have grown up thinking things are right and wrong your entire life, but you didn't decide that for yourself, it was decided for you. You were born into an intersubjective agreement. You didn't write the laws that you follow. You didn't write the company policy that you follow. You didn't write the family traditions that you follow. And yet you have a clear sense that they are right and not doing those things is wrong. And yet there's no proof for that. There isn't even much proof a lot of the time that the things that are so-called wrong are also harmful. For example, arriving late to work... It might be wrong by company policy, but where's the evidence that that's actually bad? That that actually causes harm? There's plenty of evidence coming out from Scandinavian countries at the moment that show a lesser work week in terms of hours is more productive and people have a higher quality of life, so more well-being. So the idea that you come into work and work less is bad is totally subjective. There's no proof for that. So that's what intersubjective judgment is. And then there's subjective judgment. So objective is murder hurts, intersubjective is murder is illegal, it's a sin, it breaks the rules, and subjective is more like, I would never murder someone. Okay, So this is can be totally detached from intersubjective judgments. It can be, you can decide something that's wrong even if it's legally right to do. For example, it's totally legal to drink alcohol, yet some people say, I've never drank. I think it's wrong to drink. It's technically legal to go up to someone and call them a useless fucking loser, but a lot of people would say that that's wrong to do. They wouldn't want to do that. Okay, So a subjective judgment, which you may share with some people, there's some intersubjectivity to everything, is you've decided on something that's right or wrong. But even this one is one I'm going to challenge, because even though it's subjective, you've decided for yourself, or as autonomous as you can be, you've decided that this thing is wrong, it's still a rule, which is you decide it's always wrong to murder someone. Okay? It's always wrong to drink. It's always wrong to punch someone in the face. It's always wrong to eat something off the ground. It's always wrong to hide how much money you've made. Whatever it is that you have, you'll have a rule, and it'll have this kind of always concept attached to it. You know, this is where people, I think, struggle 
because almost every, well, basically, because every one of these types of morality, objective, intersubjective, and subjective, are lacking context. Okay? Even Sam Harris, with his moral landscape, he's still seeking, it appears to me, to find a sense of morality that has longevity to it, that is applicable over context, where something is always right and always wrong. Sam Harris, for example, often uses the concept, uh, often uses the example of women of Islam wearing headdresses, you know, so being, as he put it, um, unwillingly stuffed into a cloth bag. He says it's always wrong to do that. But if somebody needed protection from the sun and they chose to put one of those things over their head, would it still be wrong? So no matter how you look at these different types of judgments around morality, the one thing that's almost always missing is context, especially when you get to the extremes like murder. So with this type of morality, whether it's based on scientific fact around well-being or whether it's based on intersubjective agreement about you know, behavior, laws, sins, whatever, or subjective feelings about how you want to do something, how you think you should live. The problem is these rules. Now, what I've found when I, when I look into this is that somebody's morality comes from one of two places, either goals or feelings. Now, goals, for example, if, if my, my uh, morality says that murder is wrong, then my goal must be to preserve life. Okay. So that would be a goal-based morality. If I think, if I, if I have the goal of trying to keep people alive, then I'm automatically going to assume that murder is wrong. I'm going to assume that not treating an illness and not vaccinating your children is also wrong. I'm going to have a lot of wrong attached, a lot of wrong attached to behavior that doesn't help my goal. So this is like a helpful versus harmful paradigm of morality and we see this with with the moral landscape sam harris says if we start with the assumption that well-being is a good thing or what he's saying is well-being or the preservation of health and life is a goal and therefore anything that detracts from that goal is bad and anything that supports the goal is good so that's that's where a lot of people's morality comes from is they have a goal they're trying to achieve an outcome and they decide on right and wrong and good and bad based on how helpful the behavior is towards their goal. And you can see this when people get really upset with other people's behavior. It's not so much that the behavior is harmful in general or scientifically. It's that the behavior gets in the way of the person achieving their goal. Right? So if I'm driving and I want to get somewhere fast and somebody's driving slow in front of me, I'll say that what they're, they're driving is wrong that they're driving poorly, that they're bad at driving, because they're slowing me down on my goal. Now, if I just want to cruise, and I don't care how long it takes me to get there, I just enjoy the drive, then someone driving slowly in front of me no longer has any kind of moral uh, judgment attached to it. It doesn't matter how fast or slow they are, there's no right or wrong, because I don't care how fast I need to drive. So this is where a lot of people get their morality from. They've got a goal they're trying to achieve, and they think anything in the way of that goal is wrong, anything that supports the goal is right. And automatically you can see how some people might get perhaps off track with this. Okay, I think preserving life is good, and then somebody threatens to kill Hitler, and I 
prevent them from killing Hitler, you know, and six million Jews die. There's these exceptional cases, we, we're just making these up, but I'll get into detail later, where if you've got a goal, there will be a context where your goal actually gets in the way of some sort of higher understanding of morality, or a kind of greater achievement of the goal. Another driver behind morality is feelings, okay, preferences, opinions, uh, emotional reaction. So if I dislike death, if I'm afraid of death, if I dislike pain and suffering, if I think it's it's awful to experience those sensations, then I might say that murder is wrong because of how much of that it causes. Maybe I think murder is wrong because I don't like to be reminded of death. I don't like death to be brought on earlier than a natural death. Now that's just a preference. The universe doesn't care when we die because we all just die. But I might have a preference for living longer. I might have a preference for for being alive over being dead. And so I'll see murder as kind of a disrespect of that preference. And we can see this kind of view, this feelings over facts view of morality in lesser crimes. You know, somebody who's really against drug use, for example. Now, the drug use might have zero effect on their life, no impact on it, but they just don't like it because they think of drug users as hippies and they associate hippies with communism. They've got this big kind of story in their head about why they don't like it. And they think because they don't like it, it's also wrong. Now, it sounds silly if I say tomatoes are wrong because I don't like the taste. Right? You think, well, you just don't like tomatoes. Tomatoes are neither right nor wrong. You just don't like the taste. But most people actually base, at least in my opinion, they base their morality on this level of measurement. They say, I don't like something, therefore it is wrong. And the opposite, I like something, therefore it is right. You can see this with a cognitive bias called the halo effect. If you like someone, you'll be more likely to be agreeable with their behavior, even when it starts crossing your moral boundaries. You will adjust those boundaries. So you might have someone you like doing really awful things, but you'll excuse their behavior and justify it because you like them. And vice versa. If you're, say, really racist, and you see a black guy doing something really awesome, you'll discredit it, you'll minimize it, you'll say he's still a bad person. Because you just don't like him. And you don't want to acknowledge that his behavior is exceptional to what you believe. So I think most morality comes from one or both of these two drivers, goals or feelings. You're either trying to get something, and you base good and bad on whether or not something helps you get that thing. Or you have preferences, feelings, tastes for certain things. And if something lines up with your tastes, it's good. And if it doesn't, it's bad. So, that's how I see morality as it currently stands, and this is where the Game of Thrones comes in. Because what I want to talk about, using Game of Thrones characters, if I can somehow crowbar this into the conversation, is how any one of these approaches to morality is ultimately going to undo you. And I, start, I want to start with, I think, one of the, the best characters from Game of Thrones, which was Ned Stark. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the program, he, he this guy was a man of honor. Okay, He's one of those guys that follows the rules by the book no matter what. So this is a guy who has intersubjective judgments and subjective judgments. 
but intersubjective judgment rules for him. Whatever the law of the land is, he will follow that even if it means his own death. Whatever is decided as honourable is what he will do even if it is completely harmful to do it. He is really rigid, inflexible in this idea of what an honourable person is. And he sacrifices everything for it. And in the program, he sacrifices his life for it and actually causes a lot of shit. Where if he had just been a little bit less honourable at certain points, um, a lot less shit would have gone down. He's kind of like the trigger for this war. So he's actually trying his very best to be honourable, but because he was inflexible to context, because he could never be moved on that honour, it was ultimately the thing that kills his whole family. And there are a lot of people like this, people who rigidly obey the law, people who rigidly obey their family traditions, people who follow a script and follow rules and never break those rules and take great pride in being this way. Now... A lot of the time, I think people like this don't actually create those rules. They are conditioned and programmed. Uh, those those rules are handed to them. You'll know this. You're this kind of person if you behave in a very respectful way with your family, and yet you don't know where you learned that version of respect. It just kind of was given to you over time. Like, you've always thought you have to do something. A great example of this is when you've got all these rules about how people can socialize, and yet there's nowhere that these rules are written down. You might, for example, think, I can never go and talk to a stranger because it's rude. And so you never go and talk to a stranger because you always think it's rude. And yet there's nowhere in the world where this is even written down as a law. Well, maybe Saudi Arabia, but... There's the Ned Starks in the world, and, and many, many people are the Ned Starks. They're always trying to do the right thing as part of an intersubjective agreement, usually one that's not even written down, but including the one that is. So there's that one. There's the Neds. And then there's, <laughs> there's the Theons. So Theon Greyjoy is another character in Game of Thrones. And he's somebody who kind of just does what he wants all the time. And he breaks rules, he's dishonorable. He's somebody whose morality is defined by feelings. What he likes is good and what he doesn't like is bad. If he doesn't like someone, they become a bad person to him. If he likes someone, they're automatically a good person. And if he does what he wants, it's a good thing to do. And if he doesn't get to do what he wants, he is it's bad. And he's someone who also suffers because of this. He's very whimsical. He makes very impulsive, poor decisions that lead to a lot of deaths and lead to him being captured and tortured. Something that would have been easily avoided had he had a little more on it, perhaps. But he's also very uh, dishonest and, and he betrays people. He's disloyal because his feelings decide his morality on a day-by-day -day basis. So what was right and wrong yesterday changes because he feels differently today. He was loyal to one family growing up, and then he finds out that they did something he doesn't like, and so he's instantly disloyal to them. So some people are like this as well. They basically do whatever they feel like, and they are able to always justify it as good or bad, uh, right or wrong, based on their feelings. And again, you can see how much harm is done in the real world with this approach. You know, what, what comes to mind is the modern feminism movement. You know, they're like you've got the Me Too movement, where there are some guys in the 
who have been sort of brought down by the Me Too movement, and rightly so. You know, Bill Cosby, Weinstein. These guys are predators, and, and they've been found out. But then the feeling of outrage has been plastered across many other cases that aren't so clear-cut. And people have been brought down and destroyed, their careers destroyed, without even a single shred of evidence of wrongdoing. And with actual strong evidence that nothing really that bad happened by any sort of moral measurement. So these are the theons in the world, the people who just rage and rant and do whatever they want and just leave a trail of destruction behind them and usually only harm themselves in the longer term. And then there's two other characters in Game of Thrones which show the kind of goal-based version of, of morality. Uh, one is a person named Littlefinger, another one is called Varys. Now, Littlefinger is a schemer. He's somebody who has a goal. His goal is sort of dominance. And it doesn't matter what happens as long as it's helpful to that goal. Now, he, he's got an interesting quote in the book. I can't remember it exactly, but he talks about how he has a picture in his head of himself sitting on the throne of the kingdom. And whenever he has to make a decision... He asks himself, will this help that picture come true or not? And if it will, he does it. And if it won't, he doesn't do it. And there are some, this is like that single-minded morality, like what I've decided as my goal is the ultimate right thing to do. And therefore, everything else is judged by that. And you can see this with religious uh, morals, where the ultimate good is to get into heaven. There's a set of rules that are supposedly going to help you do that. Anything that follows those set of rules is good. Anything that doesn't is bad. Now this gets pretty dark when you look at ISIS. You know, suicide bombing absolutely lines up with the Islamic rules about getting into heaven and screwing all the virgins. Don't know why you'd want virgins over somebody's experience, but that's for another time. And so these guys are absolutely justified in terms of that goal by blowing up and ruining the lives of thousands of people across the world. You know, so that kind of morality where the goal is all that matters, you can see this with bodybuilders, where looking good is the ultimate goal, and they will actually harm their bodies to do so. You know, there's a lot of science to show that that last couple of weeks before a competition, a bodybuilder is basically in the worst health they'll ever be, and they can even do permanent organ damage with the kind of starvation and dehydration and other techniques that they use. But because they want to look good, it justifies all of that behavior, because all of that behavior... Uh, contributes to the goal of looking good. You can see this in, in some of the extremer forms of capitalism, companies crushing other companies, people getting fired, their livelihoods ruined just because somebody wanted to make a few extra dollars. And capitalism often has that kind of um, goal of if a company makes more money, that's better for everyone. And they can lose sight of the exceptional cases when it's absolutely not better for everyone. And Varys is another character in Game of Thrones, and he has a different goal, and his is an interesting one. So his goal is actually the betterment of the people. So while Littlefinger wants to get on the throne, Varys just wants the, the common folk of the kingdom to have good lives. And so this actually looks more noble on the surface to most people, and yet he's equally ruthless, especially when you read the book. He does some awful things to try and make the realm better. He organizes the murder of children. He allows people to, good people to die right in front of him by poisoning. He does all sorts of very horrific 
are acts if you look at them individually by any other moral scope, but they're all acts that contribute to the greater goal of protecting the realm of people. And this is where you get things more like communism, when you get these kind of movements where the goal is for the betterment of the people and it doesn't matter how many individuals have to suffer for that betterment. So it's this kind of ruthless goals uh, regardless of cost type of morality. Now the thing is these, these guys represent all the different types of morality that we talked about today and all of them we can see that in certain contexts horrific objective suffering can occur and yet still be claimed to be aligned with morality. So, you know, Ned Stark, the guy who follows the rules no matter what the context is, he followed the rules really well and it destroyed his entire family and brought on a war. Now, of course, this is a fictional tale, but there's real-life examples of this. You know, there are people who have put their family through suffering because they couldn't eat any humble pie and get a loan. You know, there's there's a lot of people out there who have these rules that they must follow and they don't care how much suffering is caused as long as the rules are followed. I mean, there's been something like in the Texas execution, capital punishment in Texas, the execution, I saw some study where they figured out something about like 3 to 5% of people executed are later found to be innocent. There's such a rigid following of the rules that they haven't allowed any flexibility for someone to accidentally be accused, and so they're actually willing to murder innocent people in order to punish people for murder. That's an example of rules regardless of context, you know? And we can see this in legal oh, legal cases are brutal for this, where somebody's actually really, you know, evidence emerges that someone's definitely not guilty or something, but because certain processes have been followed, it is now impossible for them to undo what's been done. You know, there are people who are in prison with evidence that they're innocent and they still can't get out of prison because the rules, right? Anybody who's been through annoying bureaucracy knows what I'm talking about. We can clearly see a solution to a problem, but it breaks the rules of the company to follow that solution, so there is no solution, right? That is the problem with rule-based morality. Then you've got the Theon Greyjoys, the people who just do what they feel like, and call that right, and if it feels bad, they call it wrong. And, I mean, I barely need to even touch on how fucked up this version of morality is. I mean, imagine what your life would be like if you just did everything you felt like doing. If you felt like punching someone in the face, you punched them. If you felt like eating six cakes in a row, you ate them. You know, if you changed your mind about your career because you're just having a rough day and you quit, that's feeling-based morality. And more people who are, than are willing to admit follow this kind of morality, and it leaves just destruction behind them because they're so unreliable, because they're so impulsive. It's a really, it can cause a lot of objective harm to live this way. Then you've got the little finger, the various, the goal-based people. Even if their goal is considered good or evil by others, is regardless, they don't bend away from the goal. They aren't willing to sacrifice the goal. You know, I've seen people lose their families because they're so focused on their career. Right, I've seen countries go to war because someone just can't let go of the idea of getting that little extra bit of land. You know, there, there's there's this idea where the goal has become something that now to pursue it causes so much harm, and yet the person just keeps going for the goal, never questioning the goal, never taking a break from it, never reevaluating. 
Which brings me now to the one character in Game of Thrones who I believe represents an evolution in morality. And it's Tyrion the Dwarf. Tyrion Lannister. He's also, um, what's his, God, what's his real name? Peter something. I can't remember his real name, the actor. Small fella, whatever you call it now. I don't know what the PC term is. I'll just say dwarf. One of the best actors I've ever seen, I think. Now, in the show, this character slowly adjusts his morality over time. His sense of right and wrong is constantly rewritten by experience. You know, at the start, he really thinks being loyal to his family is right. And disobeying them and bringing them into disrepute is wrong. And then later on, when they fully betray him, he's quite happily, he murders his own father. You know, he thinks drinking is the best way to live, and then eventually he kind of puts his alcoholism aside for a greater cause. There's this constant evolution of his values and his morality based on experience. You know, he he becomes more and more flexible, and yet also more determined as time goes on. And what I love about this character is he, he represents a new form of morality, and that is a morality that does not have rules that span across different contexts, but rather a type of morality that reacts to the moment with calculation based on a certain set of guiding principles, a flexible yet guided version of morality. Now, what it takes into account certain things around that are objective, and yet it keeps the door open for exceptions. So if we come back to the problem, for example, of murder being wrong, and anybody listening at this point who still thinks murder is wrong, you really want to pay attention at this point. Is murder still wrong if you open the door to your bedroom and you see somebody trying to rape your wife? Would it still be wrong to murder that person? Because I know, for me, personally, my subjective one is, I will do anything to prevent that rape from happening. Whatever prevented that rape from happening would be good in my book. And yet it's quite likely, if the person was big and strong and crazy, that murder would be really the only viable option to prevent that rape. I don't mean to, you know, like trigger anybody's trauma here. But I needed to give you an extreme example because not only does this extreme example or this type of extreme example occur more often than we're willing to admit, it also shows that no matter how you view morality, there is almost always an exception. And what are we supposed to do in that exception if we're following these old school elements of morality, these old school paradigms of decision making? What I loved about the Tyrion character in Game of Thrones is whenever he was presented with a fantastically new uh, situation or challenge like this, he would rewrite the moral books. He would decide on what the right thing to do is for that moment based on previous experience. And that previous experience would include lessons and laws that he's learned, but he'd be willing to put those aside if his individual judgment in the moment made more sense. And it's not just based on feelings, and it's not just based on goals, but sometimes it is. And that's what I like about it, is sometimes. Like, if I if I walked in on someone trying to, to rape my partner, I would have a goal of killing that person, and that goal would become my morality 
for that moment, and I'd put that goal aside once the rape was prevented. Now, if it turned out that my first strike on the guy knocked him out cold, I'd put aside the goal of killing him. I don't need to kill him after that. But if nothing I did seemed to get him off her, then I'd go get a knife from the kitchen. So there's this way where, like, as a moment unfolds, you keep changing the guiding principle behind your morality. Is it a goal now? Is it a feeling now? Is it intersubjective? Is it subjective? Is it based on objectivity? We look at, say, the objective well-being argument. Well, the thing is, if all human beings do really well, the rest of the planet suffers immensely. You know, we've already got the debate at the moment, of course, raging around the world, around factory farming. Is it okay for us to cause immense, miserable suffering to living animals by calling them livestock and using them to provide well-being for humans? These are the kind of questions that none of our moral compasses that currently exist can really answer because it's an exceptional case. We need to decide, do we allow this many humans to exist that requires factory farming or requires deforestation for the vegans, you know? There's there's a lot of suffering happening in however you wanna just you know, however you wanna define suffering because of the way morality currently exists, and yet the Tyrion Lannister version of morality, where as you grow over time, your experience helps guide you uh, in creating your own set of principles, not rules, but principles, principles that can be defied, principles that are flexible, yet principles that will guide you when you're uncertain, that will at least allow you to experiment with a behavior before you decide it. And that I think Sam Harris with his moral landscape is getting really close to an objective version of morality. But the problem is well-being for humans isn't always good by a lot of standards. It's not even good by the standards of well-being. You know, I mean, keeping Donald Trump alive, that absolutely aligns with the well-being objective. But is it good for the well-being of all Americans? You know, there's there's a lot to be said for this kind of grander picture of well-being, and that just shows that the context is what really matters. We need a we need a system of morality that is based on the current moment, a judgment of the current moment, with very little regard for other contexts, and yet informed by them. We see some of this in, in the court system. Where if I'm going to sentence someone for stealing cars, I have a look at a lot of other cases where people were sentenced for stealing cars, and I use that to kind of give me some guidance. But the problem with the court system is if you've got someone in front of you who's stolen a car, but it's a really exceptional case, it's a bizarre one that doesn't line up with the other ones, you'll still be forced to sentence that person in alignment with the other ones in most countries. And yet this, this case calls for an exceptional treatment. There will be the occasional murder that calls for leniency. And there's definitely a lot of things happening now, like drug law, which do more harm than good. Because they're rigid, they're rules regardless of context, regardless of evidence. So look, overall this was a uh, off-the-top-of-my-head rant, more than anything. I made a few bullet points, but I just kind of wanted to wing it. But the reason I'm sharing all of this is I'm trying to explain, I guess in my own mind, where my current level of morality, my, my current system of morality comes from. 
I now have a way of living where, I mean, put it this way, I'm living in the Czech Republic, I'm not even aware of the laws. It's not really overly important to me. But sometimes it is. When I'm driving, I want to know what the speed limit is because that will get in the way of my goals if I get a ticket. But that doesn't mean I'm always going to obey the speed limit. And it doesn't mean that that the laws of Czech Republic are always relevant to my goals. And it doesn't mean that my goals are always my driving element. Quite often these days I refer to my values more than anything else. And those have been self-generated. I decided that honesty was good for me. But there will always be a moment where I will hold honesty back. I need that flexibility. I need to be able to look at a situation and say, not right now. And yet be okay with that decision later on. Not use the context as an excuse to be immoral. The trouble with this version of morality, the trouble I have with it, of course, is that you have to think all the time. There's no rules to follow. You have to look at each moment, each given time, and say, what would the right thing be to do right now, based on my life experience? Based on everything I know, how can I test what the right thing to do is right now? See, the the appeal of goal-based, or intersubjective-based, or feelings-based morality is that you don't have to think. You don't have to think for yourself. You just go with your impulses, or you go with your goals, or you go with what everyone else says, and it's easy. But the problem is, all those easy versions of morality leave a lot of suffering behind them. Your own suffering, if no one else's. I just wanted to bring this up and and plant an idea in your head that maybe right versus wrong is something you have to decide for yourself, and not just once, but every second of every day. That what you think is right now could be wrong tomorrow and it could totally be wrong by other people's standards but that doesn't matter it's your standards that matter and yet sometimes it will be other people's standards that matter because you don't know what you're talking about so you go get those standards you constantly adjust it's a harder way to live in a sense it takes more effort but for me it's been an ultimate freedom what i came to realize after working at department of corrections and just investigating human psychology is that I can't trust other people's judgments. It's very simple. I can't even trust my own most of the time, but other people's are a fucking nightmare. When somebody tells me what they think is right and wrong, they have a whole lifetime behind that of influence and programming and conditioning and uh, assumptions and poor information and all sorts of bullshit that led them to that conclusion, and they're like trying to infect me with it. And I realize that that's in everything I see. It's in laws, it's in company policy. You can see it right now. We have laws all around the world against drug use that have actually fed the organized crime empire. You know, without drug laws, there is no organized crime, right? You can't have gangs and mafia without drug money. You just can't. There isn't a market for them. And yet those laws remain, you know? There's a lot of people who think that talking to a stranger is rude, and yet we've seen social experiments where a child will be left abandoned on the street simply because people think it's rude to talk to a stranger or it's wrong to talk to a child you don't know. So there's a lot of morality right now that is simple to follow, but ultimately causes a ton of harm. And I think it's on all of us to break out of the system and start coming up with our own context-by-context principles to follow. I'm keen to hear your thoughts on this. This is an open discussion. I'm not even really complete with my ideas yet. 
But what are your views on right and wrong? How do you make those decisions? Do you know how you make those decisions? Do you know where the influences come from? What principles do you use to make your decisions? Are they made automatically or consciously? I'd like to hear from you, dan at brojo.co.nz, or you can post in the comments of wherever this is published. And of course, if you enjoyed this podcast and and you want to support me to make more of them, check out my patreon.com slash danthecoach, one word, patreon.com slash danthecoach, and you can contribute for as little as a couple of bucks a month. That would be awesome. So thank you for listening, and I'll see you all next time. Cheers. Cheers.